0: Thank you for joining us for another Hagley History Hangout. My name is Gregory Hargreaves, Assistant Director of the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library in Wilmington, Delaware. Now, you know, during these History Hangouts, we like to bring you some of the great work done by folks who have used the historical collections at the Hagley Library, especially scholars who have received funding From the Hagley Center in the form of research grants fellowships of different kinds one such scholar joining me today is Dylan Gottlieb assistant professor of history at Bentley University and former NEH Hagley postdoctoral fellow in the Hagley Center and we'll be discussing his book project titled yuppies wall street and the remaking of New York Dylan thanks for joining me
1: thanks so much for having me
0: you're welcome I want to start with the big picture what is a yuppie
1: what is a yuppie? Well, at its most basic, it's a stereotype, right? Mm. It's an acronymic word built out of the letters Y-U-P for Young Urban Professional. And it emerges sometime in the late 70s, its origins are shrouded in mystery, but we think in Chicago, people start using it. But it really enters the national conversation in 1984, when Newsweek Magazine declares that the year of the yuppie, uh, the words emblazoned about this Gary Trudeau caricature, um, of two, you know, urbane young people in central park. And that year Gary Hart is contesting the Democratic presidential campaign uh nomination and he is personified as the yuppie's candidate. And mm-hmm. all this begs the question, what is a yuppie? Is it just a stereotype? Well, I think what my project does or attempts to do is to say, sure, there's a stereotype out there, it's interesting, but there's actually a real demographic and material transformation that's occurring that's calling these new types of subjects into being and kind of begging for an explanation of who are these people who come to work in jobs, say in finance, in law, in the booming professional sector. The yuppie in some ways becomes a way to talk about these transformations in American economic and social life, say the rise of women, the entry of women into the professions and the diversification of the ranks of the American elite, the rising financialization of the economy, Uh, moving into the very center of American life, this new professional economy that'll displace older forms of, say, management and accounting, which sat at the center of productive life and the aspirations of young people. It's going to be replaced by investment banking and corporate law in ways that I document my story as those people stream into urban centers like New York, where I focus, but places like Chicago, where the term maybe was coined. So the yuppie is an imaginative uh, kind of creation that's a stereotype and used derisively at times, Mm -hmm. but it's also a real phenomenon I show of a demographic wave that transforms all these different domains of American life.
0: So it's both this social category, very typical of its moment in time, as well as a set of actual historical agents.
1: Absolutely. So we talk so often about abstract terms like neoliberalism or financialization, right? Um, These processes that are complicated and contested um but so often unpeopled um mm-hmm. it's hard to know like how would we tell a social history of financialization and that's what our project aims to do right is to people the story with the folks who do the work of making america say more unequal or its economy more financialized right or bringing the discipline of the market into their very lives whether it's training for the new york city marathon um, or reading in the sagat guide the best and Uh, most highly rated new restaurant to bring their clients to, right? So these are the people who embrace the transformation that's sweeping the economy more broadly and try to embody it in their everyday lives. And then on the other hand, there's a social history of those who are impacted by this new regime. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I tell a story in my book, uh, forthcoming in two years perhaps, Uh, but I told it in a Journal of American History article about the terrible arson wave that sweeps American cities in this period in the late 70s as yuppies begin to arrive in increasing numbers Mm -hmm. and landlords convert their buildings into condos. But how do they do it? They do it by displacing existing communities, often of Latino, other minoritized residents, using force, right? So by telling a social history of, say, neoliberalism, financialization. We get stories like that, right? Of real conflict in real places with people on both sides fighting over claims of power and space um, in ways that the kind of abstract discussions perhaps in other fields don't quite
0: grasp. That's a really appealing and potentially really powerful way to frame your study. That's great. I'm wondering um, why you've selected New York as the case to focus on.
1: New York is in some ways exceptional, right? Um, in terms of the centrality of the finance economy there, uh, the publishing industry, right? It has a certain, it's a, it's a lodestar in so many ways and a vanguard for changes that we'll see in the sweep other cities that are like it. And that's why it's risky to choose it, right? People could easily say, ah, New York, it's its own story, right? And in some mm-hmm. respects it is, that's, that's fair. But in many ways it does set the tone And the strategy, really, for cities that follow in its wake. So to give an example, the New York City Marathon is the first mass entry marathon that's run in any city. Why am I talking about marathons? Why people are obsessed with fitness, right? Mm -hmm. It's one way of demonstrating your bodily competence in a really competitive job market and kind of validating your position atop this meritocratic ladder in the Mm -hmm. 1980s. Mm -hmm. Um, It has all sorts of class connotations, right? You need the leisure time to be able to train, et cetera. You're a stockbroker. You like to see your finishing times as like a hard sign of your like virtue in the competitive world. Mm -hmm. But urban planners in New York think, huh, here's a type of person we'd like to have in our city banking in our banks or, you know, walking down our sidewalk, shopping in our shops. Can we revive our city by attracting them? And so they plan the marathon beginning in '76 city fathers, really real estate banking officials and the city get together and say, let's shell out for overtime and create this event, attract tens of thousands of these sorts of people. We'd like to see people in our parks Mm. and streets. And that strategy is so successful. You know, the New York City Marathon becomes the most watched spectator event in world history by the early 80s. Other cities say, hey, we got to get in on that. And this way, New York, again, is the vanguard. So the people who organize the New York City Marathon go to Miami. They go to Pittsburgh and they tell them, this is how you run a marathon. This is how you rebrand your city as an attractive destination for just those sort of people. The yuppies you too hope to attract as you make this wrenching transformation to some type of post-industrial future. So in that way, New York teaches the rest of the world, but certainly the United States, but I'd argue the world through its media and through its strategies of urban renewal, a new type of strategy to transform cities um, and attract yuppies in what eventually might become a race to the bottom. Sure, there are only so many yuppies to go around, but in real significant ways, um, a restructuring of their economies and who the city is designed for. That begins in New York and radiates outward.
0: So who are becoming yuppies? Are these people who Mm -hmm. who come from privilege and are choosing to express it in this rather new way, in this new Context, or um, are these folks products of um, a growing meritocratic organization in the economy?
1: That's a great question. So, in some ways, the change I'm tracking is not just a redirection of the old American wasp elite towards a new set of careers and new places to live, but indeed, it's part of the story is the diversification of higher education in this period, Mm -hmm. right? The entry of women into coeducational institutions the small but significant diversification of student bodies first as you know white ethnics Jewish and Italian and Irish folks are able to matriculate say at the Ivy League where investment banks are have always hired from asian american students maybe the first in their family to go to college all of them are finding their ways into elite institutions for the very first time at the same moment that these jobs in finance in particular become more lucrative and more desperate for bodies to staff all the deals, right? To do all the work of mergers and acquisitions, to rethink and reorient the economy. The industry needs people, and young people increasingly are tempted in to those industries. But it's a new sort of person, right? So those things are happening in tandem. Investment banking goes from one of the least popular jobs, frankly, about 3% of Harvard's class in 1970 goes into investment banks, to one of the most popular, where a full third of the Harvard class by the oh, mid-'80s would go straight to Wall Street. <laughs> it would reach 40% at Princeton some years later, right? So it's a pipeline erected between this new, newly diversified student body in terms of gender and to some extent ethnicity and race and these industries that need to siphon off ever-increasing numbers of workers. So in New York, 123,000 new bankers arrive in the city from the late-'70s to the late-'80s, right? A massive demographic influx Of people who have to navigate their way and get paid a lot to do it um, and transform the city in the process.
0: Mm. Yeah. Could you be a little bit more specific about the kinds of jobs these folks are doing um, in the financial sector, but I'm assuming as well as um, in the broader service sector?
1: Right. So in some ways, the story begins with Wall Street, Mm. right? Um, transformations in the global capital markets and the liberalization of rules for finance, and investment banking in particular, as well as the changing and volatile interest rate environment in the late 70s means that investment banking suddenly becomes this really hot casino to make a lot of money. But it was kind of a stay in place where you were writing corporate bonds, trading corporate paper. It was like not that interesting. But in the late 70s, as interest rates are shooting up and down, yields and spreads are wider than they've ever been it becomes in some ways the vanguard of the business world hmm. and it's exciting and the marketing materials you see at, say goldman sachs reflect this right like come make the decisions right it's not the corporate managers in akron or in rochester who make the decisions now it's you in an investment bank on wall street so there's a sense of real material shift in terms of the regulatory environment that produces an ideological shift among students. Like, wait, I want to be where the action is, right? I want to decide which companies get split apart, right? And stripped for assets or taken over with a leveraged buyout rather than being somewhere in the Midwest, being subject to that new regime of financialization. Students want to be there. So it begins with finance, but then it expands into the terrain, say, of law. So a firm like Skadden Arps is going to grow from a small, like 35 member, mostly Jewish firm, and it's gonna ride the back of this MA practice working for the biggest banks to become the largest law firm in terms of profits and attorneys hmm. by the late 80s, right? So the number of corporate lawyers in New York doubles in the 80s, right? A whole new uh, workforce is called into being out of the earth, seemingly, right? <laughs> to do the work of strategic bankruptcies to get out of union contracts or to strip a company for its assets, take a fee and get out, right? But you need lawyers at every step of that process. Hmm. And then, as you said, the broader service economy emerges in this period, both at the high wage level and a lower wage level. So here's what I mean. At the high wage level, you have folks who come for publishing, say, right? They're going to be knowledge workers in a more traditional sense. They're going to tell the stories of the yuppies. They're going to write for magazines like Metropolitan Home or Apartment Life that target this new demographic, right? So New York's media industries will see an influx of those people. And then there are the service workers who come to service the yuppies, right? Mm, Those mm -hmm. people who might have come from Puerto Rico in the 60s but found factory jobs harder to get than they were promised. Or um, any number of low-wage workers who will work in the restaurants to feed yuppies, right? Who work at the offices at Skadden Arps to clean the gym equipment that they've now installed in the building, right? So this is the origin, too, of the kind of dual city, that we see emerge in this period of high-wage workers supporting and exploiting low-wage workers who provide them with that luxurious lifestyle they feel entitled to. So the service economy booms on their backs as well.
0: So it seems like there's always a cost as um, more wealth and more power is being shifted to the financial sector and call it to into the hands and pockets of the yuppies, um, as well as um, more influence being focused in places that have these types of industries as you mentioned new york of course being forefront are there young elites um being skewed toward new york that might have otherwise gone to um say uh, upstate new york or michigan or somewhere else um uh to be an executive in a more at that at that time more traditional manufacturing role
1: Yeah, you see that absolutely a geographic concentration. Mm -hmm. Um, So I looked at the records of, say, Wharton's undergrad program, right? For years, it had turned out middle managers and accountants who went all over, right? To the Midwest, to, as I said before, Rochester, to be a Kodak middle manager, right? Mm -hmm. Or to DuPont, for example, right? Mm -hmm. But you watch over time, instead of 50% of the students going out as accountants in the mid-70s, that'll drop to maybe 30%. And from 5% going to financial services, it'll crest at 50% by the middle of the 80s. Everyone's going into banking because that's where the money is. That's where the prestige is. And I tracked, I found the old mimeograph records from the internal placement office. Of a very kind woman opened up her file cabinet and let me in. And you see the numbers that are going to New York tick up year after year after year. Oh. People want to go live an urban lifestyle. And on that note, it's not just about the jobs, though it very much is, right? The material basis, there's also a cultural desire to live in a cosmopolitan place. Mm -hmm. So part of that is um, in terms of the family structure, right? These people are delaying marriage and pursuing careers rather than moving to the suburbs. Uh, It's cheaper to live in a city in this period than it is to live in an expensive suburb where these people might hope to live someday. Um, They're delaying childbirth. So they don't care if the schools aren't so good in a city. Um, and they're attracted to the excitement and the consumption possibilities mm-hmm. of living in a central city. When you're young and single, uh, a firm bar is more attractive than you know the train back to New Canaan after a long day on the trading floor. So these people are going to embrace a new type of urban consumption habit that fits in with their lifestyle of work hard and play hard.
0: It seems like a lot of the cultural markers of the yuppie are oriented around consumption. Could you perhaps um, elaborate a little bit on that?
1: right so there's of course like the kind of material benefits of making a lot of money right (laughs) but there's ideological work you have to do or justification to validate and legitimate your place in the new Mm -hmm. economy Mm -hmm. right to say like we are the virtuous ones who are sitting on top of this very unequal system that's emerging and so i look extensively at restaurants and the emerging food culture because every time you see a yuppie right think of the beginning of the movie wall street what is charlie sheen doing He's drinking expensive wine, but he's making sushi with this newfangled, like, sushi maker machine <laughs> with his girlfriend <laughs> in his apartment, right? There, he's buying brewery, right? The signifiers of Yuppie Dumb are about rarefied foods and demonstrating one's ability to navigate these complicated codes of mm-hmm. elite consumption. Mm-hmm. And this ties in with the work that they do, right? Because higher education in this period is coming to replace inherited capital as your ticket into the elite, right? You're no longer the son of a Rockefeller necessarily. You're a first-generation Ivy League grad who's made it in Wall Street. But by learning the techniques and the language of how to order in an Italian restaurant or to pick a bottle of wine, you can validate yourself as someone who knows how to consume conspicuously, but intelligently, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so a whole series of businesses arise from Dean and DeLuca to new high-end groceries like the Silver Palette, to to sell to yuppies. And here's where Hagley's collections come in. Um, I looked, Mm -hmm. for example, at the Seagram Museum collections uh, just to see like how are marketers thinking about this, right? They're tracking what people want to buy and thinking hard about how to market to yuppies. And here consumption is again tied to inequality in a profound way. Mm -hmm. With the rising cost of living and the kind of declining real wages for most middle-class Americans, the consumer market breaks in two in the late 70s, I argue. So you've got yuppies up here, they're doing great, their real wages are climbing, they're seeing the benefits of this post-industrial boom. But most people are struggling to get by, inflation is high, interest rates are high, so home mortgages are tough to secure, right? Taxes might be high, this is the era of tax revolts, say in California. So, marketers, right, retailers can choose one of those two markets, right? They can go down market, right, and cut their costs, or they can go up market and appeal to the emerging yuppie. And so, that's what Seagram's and many other retailers do in this period. Hmm. Um, every company puts out a silver line or like an executive edition, uh-huh. chasing that market of the uh-huh. upwardly mobile, but not fully yet rich and wealthy consumer. Um, so everything from pasta brands to frozen vegetables, bird's eye has like a gold label <laughs> that emerges <laughs> as they understand that the yuppie segment is emerging. But where does that come from? It comes from a new inequality and that gap between the, the big middle class and this new tranche of people who are leaving it behind. Mm-hmm.
0: And then consuming um, uh, out of your class or out of your segment for most people then becomes aspirational, as it were.
1: Mm. Right. It's an old dynamic in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Like Veblen talks about this. We get it mm-hmm. um, that this is a dynamic in urban industrial capitalism. But what's different is the number of people who are able to access and then also understand and manipulate the symbols of high-end consumption um, mm-hmm. because they're highly educated, right? Many of them, in the people I write about went abroad to Europe. And then when they come back, they're like, the wine's terrible here. <laughs> there are no outdoor cafes. We'd like that, Right. And so, savvy retailers are able to appeal to that sense of cosmopolitanism, adventure, something like sushi, right? It breaks in the 80s. It's no accident that it takes a certain type of refined palate, openness to new experiences that often is accorded with class status and higher education. So, that's a sign, you know, eating raw food, as Levi Strauss tells us, right? It's like the ultimate taboo. Well, yuppies are educated enough to know. That they need to choke down the stuff if they're going to look good in front of their clients. So there are all sorts of levels of performance, and but it's all tied back to the transformations in the broader economy that yuppies are kind of just embodying
0: Well, Dylan, this is just a great project, I think, at every level. Thank you for taking the time to uh, share it with us. Thanks
1: so much. Um, everyone check your local bookstores in about a year or two when I finally <laughs> finish the manuscript. I'm looking forward to speaking more with you and everyone who's watching.
0: That's great. I look forward to reading it. And for the audience, if you would like more Hagley History Hangouts, more information on the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society, and the Hagley Museum and Library, join us online. You can visit Hagley.org. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y.org. Don't be a stranger.